This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash be here now. Welcome to the Sufi Heart Podcast with Omid Safi, featuring teachings and stories from the wisdom of the Islamic tradition. Omid invites you to a meditation on the transformative power of love and recalling the necessity of healing our own hearts through healing the world. If you'd like to support Omid's podcast, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com forward slash Omid. Thank you. Uh, Brother Omid Safi, for taking the time to speak with me and anyone who else uh, who else may hear today. Although we already did an official prayer, I'm going to say a few words just so that the listeners can also get the opening experience that we hope for them to get. I pray that all the sheikhs, sheikhs, uh, anyone who studied love and justice together, all the revolutionary spirits, I pray especially Thomas and Kara, on this special day, I pray that they come here too to listen and take pleasure in what we'll say and hopefully open the hearts of all of the listeners. I mean, so before I introduce you formally, I want to say this, you gained my heart, but also my reverence when I heard you speak, because I could tell that although you were a student, of Sufi love, there was a great um, observation, societal observation when you spoke. And I think as a woman, especially as a woman from what is considered black in this country, when we go looking or if we happen to run into a teacher, we must hear not only love, but even a deeper love which is the one that refuses to turn away from societal injustices. We must find teachers like this because our experience is not compartmentalized in religion or in spirituality. We too must face the world and we need our teachers to know that and to not only know that, but walk and embody that so that we can trust you when you speak completely. So I want to say that about you, Brother Omi. And, you know, formerly you are a professor of? Islamic studies. Yeah. Okay. Islamic studies, spirituality, and the civil rights movement, correct? In fact, I'm teaching a course this semester um, on the history of, um, of the civil rights movement. And uh, we might as well just jump right into it. 
um, I've been teaching that course for maybe about 10 years. And um, I flew out to Denver one time to sit at the feet of Uncle Vincent, Vincent Harding, um, whom I'm sure we'll talk about at some point today. And um, so I asked him about the civil rights movement and he just kind of, you know, paused and looked off into a distance. And in that way that only he could speak, he said, my dear son, brother, nephew, and co-worker in the cause of love and justice. Do you know that Martin and I never called it the civil rights movement? And I was like, say what? <laughs> He's like, we never, amongst us, we never called it the civil rights movement. And I was like, of course you did. I have all these books that are about history of the civil rights movement. I teach a course called the civil rights movement. Surely you must have. And he said, no, we only had one word for it. And it was the freedom movement. And he said, and if we were asked to be more specific, we would say the black led freedom movement. And he said, that's the reason why when Martin went to India and I went to Africa and we saw black and brown people in those countries fighting and struggling and resisting to be free because they knew that their lives mattered. They knew that their lives had worth and dignity and beauty and poetry. It wasn't a matter of linking our struggle to their struggle. We realized that we're part of one struggle. There's one global struggle for freedom. Yeah. And so our movement was already wrapped up in theirs and theirs was wrapped up in ours. And, you know, that was one of the things that when I came back home, I thought, my God, in this way, it's a lot like the Sufi tradition. It is the Sufi tradition. Um, if, if, if Uncle Vincent and Ella Baker and Fannie Lou Hamer, if, if these are not the saints of this country, then that term has no meaning. And I mean, and you know, I think in this day and age where so many of us are tired and exhausted and, you know, as Fang Lu Hamer used to say, uh, she's sick and tired of being sick and tired. Um, but, you know, you think about the wisdom of the Sufi tradition that God will never destroy a people as long as there's one person left there who's remembering God. As long as this nation is producing a John Lewis and an Ella Baker and a Martin King and a Vincent Harding and a Sister Amber, as long as these people are being produced, our destiny is not yet destruction. Uh, okay. The hour is late, but it's not too late. There's still time for hope and for redemption and for writing this ship. Yeah. See, I knew I picked the right person. Here we go. <laughs> this is what I have been uh, trying to convey in my art and my poetry. And uh, to hear someone as eloquent as you just say it. Yeah, these are our saints. This is Sufism. This is a spiritual practice. And it takes a great love. That's right. Yeah. Um, so... 
I said what I said about who you are to me and formally. I want to say this too. I was going to save it for the end, but I feel like it even gives a greater context as to who you are. So when we first heard about your courtship with your wife, you said to us, I translated Rumi poems for a year. Uh, Or two, (laughs) yeah. Or two. And I sent them to her. I said, look at this, A, a gentleman. And then in the next breath, you mentioned Malcolm X. And I said, he knows something that I am trying to uh, emerge within myself. The sweetness of that story of your wife and you. And also, I just want to say, the most tender couple I have ever personally met. And gives me much hope. (laughs) We need hope. We need hope. Listen, you know, I, I am somebody who, in many ways, is shy about sharing the details of my personal life with with people. And I do think that there's a wisdom about um, keeping private things private and public things public. Um, But if you've got light, it just shines. And if you... No, 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 no. You're you're all good. You're all good. Um, and and um, you know, if you love somebody, it shows in your eyes. It shows in your words. It shows in your touch. It shows in the reverence that you bring to them. And that can be in a romantic way. It can be in a friendship way. It can be in any context. Um, but one of the things, whenever somebody tells me that, um, you know, wow, I see such love and such tenderness um, shared between you and and your wife. One of the things I usually also offer to them, I don't give details because mama <laughs> raised me, right? Right. Um, but this wasn't my first go around. Um, and um, I had had my heart broken and she had had her heart broken. We kept at it and we kept working on ourselves and we kept seeking and searching and striving for something that was worthy. And we tried to become the kind of people who would be worthy of a love like this. And so, you know, I I see so many people who um, are seeking and they're waiting. um, And I just would love to give them a sense of hope that it doesn't have to come. And usually it doesn't come when you're 20. And it may not come when you're in your 20s. We hope it doesn't take too much longer than that. you know, inshallah. But, inshallah. Um, you know, for me, like I was, I was this middle-aged dude uh, when when love came to town, <laughs> as they say. Um, so, just to give that sense of hope and encouragement, um, and to go back to uh, Uncle Vincent, whom we were talking about. You know, he was married to the great love of his life. They had been married for forty plus years, and then she passed away. Um. And he mourned and he grieved and there was a deep sense of loss. And then at age 80, 80, he married his best friend and he found love again in life. And the last three years of his life, he lived blissfully happy. Um, And so, you know, I think sometimes it's good to let the... Uh, Hollywood romances kind of go by the wayside and say love is mysterious mm-hmm. and sometimes it comes in through the front door and sometimes it comes in through the back door and sometimes it comes more than once 
in a hundred different disguises. So let us be a kind of people who welcome love, mm. um, however she's dressed. And it might look differently than how we had thought going into it. You know what I heard you say? You said that we both decided that we would be the kind of people worthy yeah. for this love. And yeah, so not only will we welcome love, but we'll do our best to dress ourselves and you know get ourselves together like how we would get our hearts together before God. That's right. To even host a kind of love like that. That's right. That's right. And you know, there's some of the journey that you can only do with somebody else. Because at the end of the day, you need a mirror. You need somebody who's going to hold up to you qualities and areas that need work that you may not be able to see in yourself, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's also true. But, you know, for all the folks who go out there, um, and I was certainly amongst them, um, you know, scrolling through the list of my Facebook friends going, all right, who should I marry? <laughs> you know? um, and we think about finding Mr. Right, Mrs. Right, but maybe we don't spend the same amount of work and time. And I'm talking about real work. I'm talking about going deep inside and finding where the wounds are, where the unhealed areas are. And if we haven't done that work on ourselves, then we're going to bring it to this person that we love more than life itself. Mm. Um, and, you know, now we're never going to be finished with ourselves, but you want to make sure that you've started that journey with a good intention. So, alhamdulillah, you know, it's, um, there's, a, there's a few of us who've lived a life of uh, hell on earth. And you're like, bring Jahannam because I've already been there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like uh, there's no amount of fire that could hurt any more than what I've taken. I can't imagine. But then the reverse is also true, that there are times, there are moments, there are breaths that you take where you're giving a little taste of paradise. And um, it's possible. That is absolutely possible right here in this world. And I think it's also good to have a generous sense of it, to have an expansive sense of it. It might be the relationship with your mama. It might be the relationship with your baba. It might be the relationship with a teacher. It might be a friend, a neighbor, a child. Um, the one that I always think we're struggling with as a, as a country right now, not only with a neighbor, but also with a stranger. With strangers. Um, so to find to find that kind of deep love, real love, true love, um, the kind of love where you see one another, you see the worth and the beauty and the dignity of one another, and the romantic kind, which is good. I mean, it, if you get it and it's halal, it is all good. It is wonderful, wonderful. But that's one color of the rainbow. And if that color isn't showing its face to you, see what else is there. Um, we're never as loveless as we tell each other 
where we are at the moment. Yeah. I I um I thought about the Rumi poem where he says, um, I love this world. And you know, if I ever miss a word or two, you're you're the perfect candidate to help me. And the intention is all that matters. Go for so it. So the intention is to um add to the light that you just given. Uh, I love this world even as I hear the great winds of leaving it rising, because there is a grainy taste that I prefer to any idea of heaven, human friendship. That's so, beautiful. excuse me? That's beautiful, that's beautiful. <laughs> Rumi is, is beauty himself. And uh, when you say it's possible now for us to feel this love now, when I started reading Rumi, I looked at my relationships differently. They're an opportunity into the divine. Uh, and, you know, earlier you were saying that, you know, you can't, back to your relationship with your wife, the lovely, beloved Karina, you say you can't do all the work on yourself. But unless you start, yeah. unless you start and you really look for those wounds, then it, you'll bring that ugliness. I'm not sure if that's the word you use, but that's how I see. You'll bring that ugliness with you into your next relationship. And I thought, wow, that's just like us as a people, especially as oppressed people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I think there's, there's um, one of the things, um, the time that I had a chance to meet you in person was in the presence of our very dear, beautiful, beloved teacher, Pirzia, um, someone that I love with all of my heart. Um, and he oftentimes talks about a sense of balance mm-hmm. on one hand and on the other hand, that life is not usually, you know, looking at things only from one point of view. So there's a couple of things that I think we got to do, particularly for those of us who come from black and brown communities. Um, we don't have a monopoly on suffering but our people have suffered immensely and continue to do so. So I think the two things that we got to balance in that sense is on one hand, if you love the folk, you tell them the truth. Uh, And you got to speak the truth. You've got to be able to speak directly and honestly from the heart about the pain and the suffering that your people have gone through and are going through. And, and we'll continue to go through if we don't write that shit. Absolutely. Absolutely. So on one hand, you know, in an age where lies and deceit and dishonesty has the highest platform in the land, mm. to tell the truth, to speak the truth, though your voice shakes, to speak the truth as our beloved prophet says, though it be like holding a hot coal in your hand, but you must speak the truth because you know that if you don't, then the rocks are going to burst out. That's a work of care and of love and of courage. And there is another hand. And the other hand is, This is something I learned from one of my Palestinian sisters and other people who have known suffering 
immense suffering. Yes. Uh, this is my friend uh, Linda Sarsour, who always says, those closest to the pain are closest to the solution. Mm. Right? So you don't need to go to a consulting firm to tell you what should be done about our inner cities or people that have polluted water or people who are living under occupation or who have experienced domestic violence. Mm -hmm. The people who've been traumatized the most by far have the clearest insight on what they need. So you got to love each other enough to speak the truth and then you got to listen to the ones who are telling you this has been our experience. This is the experience of our ancestors and we are moved to do something so that our children and our grandchildren don't have to have the same trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And and while we while we do that, while we continue to speak the truth what as we're taught, do something either with your heart, your words, or your hands. So as we continue to do this simultaneously, like getting ready for our uh our our sociological ideal life, the way you got ready for your mate, you looked for those wounds. You, you you helped yourself grow. You made yourself a loving environment for, and you know, not perfect. I know no one is perfect. And as you said, there's work that you can only do once you get there. That's right. So for us, I, I'm looking at us like this, you know, this ideal mate of a life, <laughs> of a lifestyle is possible, is this close. And while we're working for social justice and continuing to do these things at the same time, making room for love and healing. And it, because when we get there, we want to be pleasant people. We want to we be people who have done the work. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, you know, I think it's, again, it's that balance thing of the inner work and the outer work, the work on your own heart and the work out in the world. And when there's too much emphasis on one and neglect of the other, then, you know, we're out of whack. And, you know, if you're driving your car and the right side of your wheels and the left side of your wheels are not balanced, the car is going to pull to one side and eventually you have to go get an alignment. That's what a lot of spiritual work is. (laughs) It's getting an alignment between your inner work and your outer work. Yeah. Because we're, we're in this together. We are. We're, we're not a bunch of disconnected individuals. We're all interwoven, interconnected. So the more beauty you can bring to your heart, it spills over. It beautifies and illuminates everybody who's around you. And the more that you can just get over your own damn self and just extend of yourself in love and in service to others, it comes back to you. It comes back to your own heart a hundredfold as long as you do it in a way that's sustainable. Yes, sir. Sustainable. Can you give an example of the most sustainable way that it's been done by, by maybe identifying a person or a movement or a time period? Yeah. You know, um, 
we're, we're talking about him and I, I just feel his presence very much kind of with us today. Um, let me let me tell you about a couple of things about Uncle Vincent. Um, and everybody who knew him called him Uncle Vincent. And there was there was something about I met him when I was 40 and he was 80. Um, in some ways, kind of an unlikely friendship between this 40 year old brown Muslim man and this 80 year old black Christian icon. Um, and I went to his office one time. I, I used to fly out to Denver as often as I could and just sit at his feet and soak up everything. So mind you, this is before the era of that orange Oompa Loompa who is in office right now, right? Um, this was under our handsome eloquent, charismatic, noble Peace Prize winning, half-Muslim black president, right? Barack Hussein Obama. Um, and my God, those seem like such, you know, beautiful days. And the same beautiful, dignified, eloquent, compassionate president, who was also force-feeding prisoners in Guantanamo, who was also expanding surveillance programs on black and brown people, who was also used, expanding the usage of drones mm. to kill black and brown people in seven different countries. So wow. if you love Barack Obama, and I do, and I did, and I continue to, I love Michelle just a little bit more, but that's a whole separate story, then you speak the truth. I mean, and you say, you know, I love you. I'm proud of everything that you stand for. I'm proud of us having become a people worthy of someone other than a white man as our leader. We had 43 of those. That's enough. How about, and because I love you so much, I got to speak up for the ones whose voice isn't being heard. Um, so I, I flew to Denver and I was so frustrated. I was so mad. And it was Montanamo and it was drones and it was the surveillance thing. And I just sat in Uncle Vincent's office and I think I fumed. It must have been 45 minutes. Mm. And he listened and he took it in, nodded along, didn't interrupt me. Mm. After 45 minutes, he goes, my dear son, nephew, brother, and co-worker in the cause of love and justice, everything that you said is right. I agree with everything that you said. Mm -hmm. Period. Period. Just remember that the prophetic tradition is about redemption. Speak the truth do the critique, mm. and then offer people a way of hope. Mm. And I thought, that's exactly right. And that's okay. part of what we don't do enough of. It's part of what we haven't done enough of. Um, you know, people have different names for it these days, cancel culture, this and that. And I'm not particularly invested in that in the names of that discussion, but 
critiquing people, critiquing movements, critiquing ideas is part of how we do things nowadays. And things are quite fragmented. Um, Brother West, I think, says it even better. He says that our public space is marketized. Mm. Everybody and everything is up for sale. Mm. And you don't actually have to be confronted with truth. You can just tune in to the news channels, to the newspapers, or even to the podcasts that confirm rather than challenge your impression of the world. Mm. But what if we want to do something more prophetic than just critique? Right. right? Can, we do, can we leave some space for speaking the truth, being humble enough to say, none of us have a monopoly on truth, mm-hmm. but I've got a little glimpse, and so do you. Mm-hmm. And everything in my heart, every bone in my body leads me to care about this community. And I could be wrong. And I could be impartial. I could be partial. And maybe you and your people, you and your community have experiences that I haven't. I think that sense that our redemption, our salvation, our liberation is collective. That we can't be free until all of us are free. Um, That's an area that I think the 40-year-old version of me had a lot of work to do. I did anger really well. And I did righteous anger extremely well. I think now, you know, getting to what I euphemistically call the autumn season of life. And I hope I'm right. I hope I hope it's just the autumn season and there's a winter season still to come. Um, I, I'm realizing that that kind of righteous indignation and righteous anger, it's enough to get people worked up. And it might be necessary in an age of lies and deceit and bombast. But by itself, it's mm. not enough. Mm. We need love, we need hope, we need transformation, we need unity, we need togetherness. Yeah. You know, one of our great lovers who I'm considering a saint, I'm going to put him in the saint series that I'm doing, Che Guevara. Yeah. Che, right. che Guevara, <laughs> what a lover. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. And I, I actually think he was the first person considered to be a revolutionary who I heard say it takes a great love. Yeah. Just like that, you know, no fluff. It takes a great love. Yeah. And, uh, but he, remember he said, if you're angry, then you're one of us. Uh-huh. And so now, and now we say, <laughs> we love you, beloved. You've done a great work for us. Maybe we can make that statement a little more effective. Yeah, I think so. And and I tell you, this is one of the areas that I'm um, exploring. And I think, honestly, I've got a lot of learning to do from my sisters. Mm. Um, I think if you had caught me 
five years ago, I could have given you a hundred Sufi stories about how anger is always a fire that burns you more than it burns somebody else. Mm. I think I always saw anger as a kind of immature spiritual state. And I've spent the last few years listening very closely to my sisters, and in particular, my black sisters, who are like, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. Like, anger is survival. Mm. Anger is a reminder that the way things are right now is not the way they ought to be. And that if I wasn't angry, Mm -hmm. it would mean that I was domesticated. Mm -hmm. It would mean that I had come to accept somebody else's racist and patriarchal view of the world as just the way things are. And it's still not quite second nature to me, but I'm working on it. And I'm trying to also figure out how to find the teachings that help us balance that deeper love, that divine love. What's that balance between rage and outrage? If you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. Um, I was telling my students this last week that the April 4th, 1968, that Brother Martin was shot and killed in Memphis. Mm -hmm. He was working on his Sunday sermon. And the sermon that he wanted to give the Sunday right after he was killed would have been called. We don't know what he would have said, but we have the title. And the title tells you what you need to know. The title was going to be Why America May Go to Hell. This is Martin Luther King. This is the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, comma, junior, period. Yeah. And he was like, if we stay on the path that we are, we may go to hell. Mm. And that word means something (laughs) for Brother Martin. So there's a deep sense of being outraged at what we have become. Mm-hmm. And I think we're even deeper in it now than yeah. we were in 68. Yes. So I think, yeah, we're still working on balancing this. We're working on it. We're, we're working, working on it, aren't we? Yeah. I feel, before I um, got into Sufi teachings, I and it's, and it's how I found you, much like you found... Uh, Uncle Vincent, because I could tell that although you were a Rumi translator, Sufi poet, <laughs> there, then you you also had the Communist Manifesto at home somewhere. And I do, I do absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I studied it when I was, I think, twenty one, and I was like, dope, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah, and I said he must have Malcolm X's autobiography somewhere in there. I read Malcolm when I was seventeen, and Malcolm rocked my world. You know, um, among other things, I'm an immigrant child. And Mm. I'm of that immigrant generation 
where my beautiful brown parents, whom I love with every fiber of my beings, they sacrificed so much to come to this country. They left their families, their lives, their livelihood, their dignity. No, they didn't leave their dignity. Their social respect that they were given, their families, their loved ones, their home. They left all of that to come to this country so that I could have a life. Literally so that I wouldn't die in a war. Um, and th there is not a thing I will ever be able to do to pay them back. I can pay it forward. I can take care of my babies that way and maybe pass on something to other people's babies, but I can't pay my own parents back. But they were also of the same generation that said, you know, this is a land of opportunity. So keep your head down. Don't make waves. Don't cause trouble. Don't speak out. As many immigrants are told to do when they get to this country. Absolutely. And then I read Malcolm. And I was like, who is this prince of a man? And why have I not met people in this country who talk like this? I've met people who talk just like Malcolm in Iran. Really? I had, I mean, we had a revolution. We <laughs> thought we were going to have the first human society with no lines of wealth or race or gender. We're going to be the society of sisters and brothers. Right? What year was uh, this? 78, 79. Okay. And uh, so this was the Iranian revolution. And, um, you know, they were reading a lot of the same people that Malcolm was reading. Um, uh, Malcolm was hugely popular in Iran. Iran was the first country to put Malcolm on a stamp. Right? So Brother Malcolm had a following there. Okay. And, um, and so I read his autobiography and he just rocked my world. Um, and I went through about 10 years of my life of having people tell me, uh, you know, at that time I had a little bit fewer books than I do right now. And it was like, how can you have your Malcolm X and Fanon and Edward Said and Chomsky and Marx and, you know, anti-colonialism bookshelf. Mm -hmm. And then you've got your Sufi love and Rumi and Quran and the prophet and, you know, and, you know, and I think I spent the too many years trying to just like rationalize and justify it to people until eventually I was like, you know what? Um, that's your binary. That's not mine. I don't see these two as separate. If you love the folk, how can you be silent when the people are hungry? If you love the folk, how can you be silent when the folks are homeless? If you love the folk, how can you ever be silent when the police is shooting at them or they're occupied or they're being bombed? Right. Or right? Kate. Yeah. Right. How, how on earth can you call yourself a child of God how can and you? not have a mumbling word to say when you got babies torn out of their mama's arms and put in a cage? What kind of a faith is that? Right here. Not, not right. over there somewhere. Yeah, right yeah, here. right here, right here in this country, you know? Um, I mean, I was, I was reading one of the um, writings of Dr. King when he's traveling through the South. This is not the Martin Luther King that everybody cites and quotes. And he says at one point, when I see these white churches, I wonder who this God is that they worship. 
Right. And you know, like those are those are words that we should reflect on. We if should. You see, if you see what's happening in this country, and you know, if you post nonsense about gays and lesbians, and this and that, and immorality, but you haven't had a mum to say about babies in cages and black folks being shot on our streets uh-uh. and the degradation of the environment and, you know, Muslim ban version one, version two, version three, version four. Um, and quite literally a president who is apologizing for Nazis, right? Hey. We're not even talking about people that have sympathy, like straight up, 100%. People who are like, we're Nazis. Yeah. And the president is like, if you haven't had a mumbling word to say about it, you better not. You can call yourself lots of things. Don't you dare call yourself a person of faith. <laughs> call yourself lots of other things. Yes. Yeah. Is- yeah. So the blending of these two. You know, I asked, I asked one of my friends, one of my dear friends, I said, hey, where does love fit into the revolution? And he says... Ultimately, he says, where does revolution fit into love? Because all there is, is love. And so when I talk about um, this anger, I think anyone who studies colonialism as young as I did. Yes. Uh, has, develops a deep anger. Yeah. And as you know, yeah. as you know, the human soul has anger in it. This That's is right. why we have these practices to help to quell our lower naps. Yeah. So that we can be in a state of God remembrance. But if you are consumed in your lower naps, then you belong to, as Rumi would say, mud and water and earth. And, and, or he would say the prison of mud and water. So I feel that in my personal journey, and this is why I speak to it so much because I know it. I'm not pointing a finger. You lived it. You lived I'm, it. Yeah. I'm, I'm living it. <laughs> Constant. So the anger that is already there, as as the as we're taught, the slinking devil is already whispering into the hearts of men and women. And then you put a thing like colonialism, imperialism, right. slavery yep. to the African men and women yep. spent all over this planet. And then having our whole existence tied to this thing, when you start realizing it's all, it's like, oh, you lied to me? Black people were in the Americas prior to slavery? There were Muslim Sufis here prior? So so then you get angry, but the anger was already there. Now the world has given you something to let that anger rule you. So... Yeah, and and so you know, I I I hear you a hundred percent on that. And like I said, you know, this is the one of the times that I'm kind of realizing that so much of um, the insights of what I had learned, you don't just read what's in the books and then try to apply it out in society, right? That's one way that it flows, but it can also flow the other way. And you can sit with the folk, you can listen to the folk, and you can listen to their life experiences and life wisdom, 
And sometimes it's the people who've lived these lives of pain and suffering and love and hope and song and dance and painting, poetry, poetry, and you take their wisdom and you put it in the books. (laughs) It goes the other way. Uh, Uh, You know, and uh, you know, it's a lot of the, it's a lot of our grandmothers. Who knows more about love and suffering and sacrifice than people who for 50 years, for 60 years, got up in the middle of the night, not because they don't value sleep, but because they love your tiny little brown body and soul more than they love their own sleep. And, they, and, you know, somebody may have been next to them snoring or somebody may not have even been there. They might have been the only one there. Uh, right? that's, that's part of what I'm talking about, saints. You talk about rising above your own nafs and your own ego self. Not a single one of us would be alive if somebody, and 98% of the time it's been women, didn't get up in the middle of the night because they valued their baby's hunger and the need to provide comfort for their babies more than their own comfort. So, you know, which is not to say that the only thing that women have to offer is domestic life, family life, but let's see the work. Let's honor the work. Let's honor the sacrifice. and, you know, you talked about revolution and love. Um, yeah, I read Malcolm and I read Marx. I didn't need to read them to know that these two are related to one another. So one of the things that I always love about this is that in almost all the Islamic languages, um, Arabic and Persian, Turkish, Urdu, the word for revolution comes from the root of the word for heart. Inqilab and qalb. Qalb inqilab. You can't have a revolution without revolutionizing people's hearts. Otherwise, you're just changing the social order. And social order comes and social order goes. Economic systems come and economic systems go. But if you can change a people, oh my if, you God. Can, if you can change a people so that they stand up, they straighten up their back, they hold their yeah. eye, and yeah. they know their lives have beauty, dignity, and so does everybody else's. Mm. That's a revolutionary movement. Mm. And you know what? We have a movement here in America that I know depending on where you stand in the American spectrum, you feel differently about this movement. But the Nation of Islam has done what you just said. Because, of course, our journey is not over. We have have more work to go. Yes, yes. But when you discuss Malcolm. Oh, yeah. And then you discuss the thousands of men and women who, like you said, something changed. Yes. Malcolm was a pimp. We know this. Yes. So something revolved and and withstood the test of time. We're still here seeing people being changed by this movement. So I think we have, as much as we have to critique, we also have things to learn from. And it's such a gift um, 
Okay, so I want to ask you something. Actually, I want to read something from your book. And I want you to, if you could, so eloquently, close the idea for now. You know, hopefully, inshallah, God will again, inshallah. in the future to have this discourse. And maybe we'll have some, um, some amazing things to share. So you say this. In your book, uh, The Radical Love. And I believe these were the translations in your courtship. That's it. That's right. It's the easiest book I've ever written. Scrolling text messages, cutting and pasting, cutting and pasting. And I was like, hey, we have a book. <laughs> That's so beautiful. That's a work of love. Yeah, it, oh, is, it literally is a labor of love. Yeah. Truly, truly. And it's touched my heart. So mission accomplished. So you say in this book, uh, you have a passage. It's called Path of Love. You say, whereas many religious traditions speak of God as the Lord, the King, and the Master, the mystics call on God also as friend, which you say, dust, 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 a lover and a beloved. Whereas many speak of the human quest for God, those who walk on the path of love know that God is also seeking. Humanity, I mean, rather than merely a vertical relationship of submission, the path of love becomes a sensual and spiritual love affair of seeking and yearning, being and becoming among God and humanity. I mean, I mean, I mean, um. That's some good stuff right there. <laughs> um, listen, let me let me leave you and leave our friends who are listening to this or watching this with um, one more gift. And this is something that um, comes right out of that same tradition. Um, and I've, I've seen this in the Sufi tradition. And Uncle Vincent shared this with me verbatim. Um, you know, a lot of us have heard um, have heard it said that when love comes out into public, we recognize it as justice. Uh, and that Cornell West, of course, has said this more eloquently than anybody else. Uh, John Lewis spent his whole life on this. If you go back and you look at the way that they define SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, back in 1960, April, I think it was, uh, when they met in Raleigh, they defined the whole goal of their movement as to bring love out into the social order until it shows up as justice. Mm. There's another part, and, and we've talked a lot about how if you love the folk, then you have to stand up for the folk, starting with those who find themselves marginalized, find themselves hurting, not because they are weak, not because they were born weak, but because they've been made weak. Nobody's born weak. Nobody's born voiceless. Somebody's either not hearing, not listening, or they're deliberately silencing you. So before we can even have lift every voice and sing, you got to make sure that people's voices aren't being silenced. So there's the trajectory that starts out from the heart and comes out, love becomes justice. 
beautiful. But there's also a, a corollary, a complementary part that I want to make sure we don't lose track of. The same love that when it pours out of you, we see it as justice, when it pours into you, when it goes inside you, we call it tenderness. The most radical and revolutionary people that I've ever met in my life, the ones who have paid the greatest price and are willing to pay the greatest price, when you meet them in person and like Brother Malcolm, God, as God is my witness, like Uncle Winston, when they flash their smile at you, you don't see hardness. You see somebody who is gentle and tender. And it makes us realize how wrong we have it, how deluded we are in thinking that the strongest people in the world are the hardest people in the world. No, no. Sometimes it's the tree that knows how to bend. That's um, the, the resilient tree, the gentle tree, the rooted tree, um, the supple tree. Yeah, and so I think one of the things that I hope for all of us, anybody who's listening to this, who's trying to figure out how to navigate love and justice. I mean, there's a time to be outraged. There's a time to be demonstrating. There's a time to be out there working and struggling and resisting. Don't let it harden your heart. Yeah, yeah. Find the time and the spaces where you can be tender. Yeah, find them. And as you were talking about Thomas Sankara and, and others, be mindful. Be mindful of when your only no is a fight or flight strategy because that's going to take a toll in your intimate life. It's going to take a toll on your family life. It's going to take a toll on your relationships and on your friendships. Yeah. So always track this wave of love. Watch it come out as justice. Watch it go in tenderness. And it's always love. Always love. You know, when you said the smiles, I saw Dr. Sebi's smile. Yeah. You're familiar with Dr. Sebi? No, tell me. I'll tell you a little bit about Dr. Sebi. He's definitely included in my series. Oh, he died. He died three years ago, but up until that point, he had lived a miraculous life. But he had lots of challenges. He had mm -hmm. cured AIDS, and he published it in the paper. Wow. I believe this was year 1985, and he was convicted for practicing medicine without a license. And you know, he beat his case without representation. My goodness, represented himself, but he was factual. They told him, bring these many people to testify on your behalf. He bought 10 times that many okay. people who had been cured from diabetes, sickle cell, blindness, AIDS, HIV, cancer. And so he actually lived a life where he had gotten ex exiled from a lot of the places where he tried to set up Dominican Republic. Even some countries in Africa turned him away. So he lived a life where he could have been... Um, hardened by his experience but when you said the smile yeah i i saw his smile i'm gonna send you a picture of him after this so you i would can love to i would love to see him hopefully i can see find a video where you can hear that laugh oh, and you know he always used to say 
when he was little, he said, I'm going to do something great for my people. He said he used to be under a shack in Honduras where if it rained, the water would come into where they lived. His grandmother. So he would use his finger and create little channels where the water could go without coming into their dwelling. And he said, I'm going to do something great for black people. I'm going to do something great for black people. And eventually he did, but he went through a lot of challenges. But like you said, when that love not only goes this way, but turns this way, you can put it on their faces. That's right. Right? That's right. So may, may this conversation bless every walker of love that ever walked and every walker of love to come. And the ones right now, like you said, trying to find this balance between love and justice. Yes. May they be blessed by this conversation. Thank you so much. John. Thankful to you, my dear beloved sister. May God continue to increase your life. Amen. And for you as well. And to bless your union and bless your family and bless your students and all your endeavors. Amen. Süleyman This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now.